Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mercy Unbound, a series that aims to provide hope, an avenue for healing, one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. With me today is a friend uh, I met a few years ago at a healthcare conference, uh, Divine Mercy Professionals, and uh, Dr. Brian Berkey uh, went to medical school at uh, UVA, did his residency at Michigan, his fellowship at Ohio State, uh, worked in Vanderbilt for uh, 10 years or so, and then transferred up to the Cleveland Clinic uh, where I trained. And uh, recently moved uh, to a little warmer weather over on the east coast of Florida. And I'm glad to welcome it as a fellow Floridian. But uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the key part of this will be delivering bad news to patients about their condition and also a little bit about your own spiritual walk. Uh, you helped found the Archbishop Fulton Sheen Guild of Northeastern Ohio of the Catholic Medical Association. Uh, and uh, we're involved in the Catholic Medical Association in Vanderbilt. Um, I just wanted to ask you, as one involved in the CMA, tell us a little bit about the vision of that group and how your faith played a role in your practice as an ENT subspecialist dealing with head and neck cancer patients. Right. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, first of all, for being a friend and for allowing me on your show. It's a true honor. Um, uh, I have been a lifelong Catholic and I think uh, a fairly dedicated Catholic. Um, I can still remember uh, studying in college and taking one of the early entrances for medical school and literally praying for help on the test and just saying, you know, uh, God, your will be done. And literally during the test, worrying about it. And then one of the questions came up and I, I literally heard a voice with, you know, it was an A, B, C, D, E question. And I heard D, you know, as loud as could be. And, uh, looked around, there's nobody there. And I looked at the question, the answer was D as best I knew. You know? So I kind of, from that moment on, always felt like God uh, was uh, with me on this journey of trying to take care of people that he entrusted to my care. So, um, and, and with that, you know, we have different levels of growth within our, within our um, lives, our faith lives. And so at, at different times, um, while I was a lifelong Catholic, I, I won't say that I always understood theology or the basis for why we believe what we believe, probably until maybe the last uh, 20 years. Um, and then my daughter was actually in a Dominican school, and I got to know the Dominican sisters pretty well. And uh, I, I will give them much credit, you know. Um, one of them was actually subsequently one of my medical students uh, at Vanderbilt and is a spectacular physician now in Nashville. Um, so anyway, um, and then as you mentioned, uh, became associated with the Catholic Medical Association. When I moved, uh, when I left Nashville, we were uh, very involved in, um, uh, in the church and, and uh, the Dominican life. Um, and so I wanted to kind of keep that going in Cleveland. And so I did, in fact, um, 
try and find like-minded people. There weren't that many at the, uh, there weren't that many at that time in Cleveland. Um, but ended up taking a course on bioethics at the seminary and um, met a group of three or four people. And honestly, one of them suggested that we try and form a guild of the Catholic Medical Association. And so we did. Um, and I eventually became guild president, rotated in, and, and uh, have since been very involved in the leadership of the Catholic Medical Association. Um, and it's a great society to be part of. Um, the vision is simple. Um, six words, inspiring physicians to imitate Jesus Christ. And it's simple, but um, a big task. Um, it's really the Catholic Medical Association is, is primary aim is to form and support physicians uh, who want to live and practice uh, the principles of the Catholic faith in their medical practice. And uh, that's really simply what we do. Um, we have a bunch of outreaches for that, but that has really been um, a large part of it. So, you know, with that, obviously, um, Look, the, the first thing, if you want to take uh, care of the people that Jesus entrusts to us, you have to provide excellent state-of-the-art care. And so that, um, uh, there's a, a lot of science behind it. But then again, to provide also, as you mentioned, hope, uh, encouragement, and fellowship. Um, I always say the best way to build a practice is to treat people um, like they are children of God, because in fact, everyone is a child of God and every patient you see is a child of God. And if you treat them like that, um, they get that, right? They, they've generally never been treated like that before, unfortunately, in the healthcare. Um, when you treat them like that, they get it and they attach themselves to you uh, very quickly. And so, um, and you can really bring them, right? As Sister um, or St. Teresa of Calcutta said, um, the sick are in fact Jesus Christ in our hands. And if you treat them like that, they never forget that. You know, I guess in some ways the antithesis of the CMA and what you're talking about years ago, there was a point in my life when I was in practice and I, and I wasn't practicing that at all. And I remember one evening I was called in, a um, person was bleeding out, young alcoholic Mexican uh, was bleeding out and um, I was trying sclerotherapy to stop his bleeding and nothing was working and he died there right on the table. And I just was so dismayed. I just went home and I hadn't really reflected till years later about that man was preparing to see the Lord. And uh, really, when you think of the CMA and you have the image of Jesus behind me, that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to be Jesus at the bedside, aren't you? And, uh, and then you, you have to be able to handle all that stress and yet take it home and be Jesus in the family because you still got a family. It's all about balance. How do you, how do you pull all that off? Right. Um you hit the nail on the head. It, it's, there's a lot of stress. And right now I'm, um, as you mentioned, starting a new practice in Florida, you know, um, a lot of stress with change, no matter how I'm the 30 year veteran of this, right? And, uh, but everything is new and everything is stressful. And so I think about that a lot day to day now, you know, over the last month. Um, 
I think always the one great thing about Christianity, but Catholicism in particular, is that, you know, it helps us to keep our focus on God, you know, and um, evermore, I, I am sensitive to the fact that it, um, it, our success depends a lot on us just turning over our lives to God and letting God be in charge. And um, it's hard, you know, um, but I will say that coming to Florida, um, weird story, but I, we were trying to find a vacation home, you know, and um, of all the places we looked, we bought this one and I'm in Vero Beach and I was moving in and I found out the Cleveland Clinic was three miles away, you know, from my house and um, reached out and initially they weren't interested in having somebody down, which was fine with me. I wasn't interested in moving. And then the next thing they call it a month later with, you know, kind of a new job, partially administrative, partially clinical, and which is exactly what I was looking for. And I just felt, you know, God was pushing me pretty hard in that direction, right? And who am I to, 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 um, to turn away? But I do think, you know, it takes a little bit of courage to do that. And and as I've been going through the stress and whatnot, you know, I think just, again, open communication with your family, but also a, a real tacit acknowledgement that God is in charge, right? And I, um, my wife and I were talking about that last night. There's some, you know, issues that pop up with change, but I said, look, this wasn't our decision anyway, you know, and if God put us here, he's gonna provide. So I, I think a lot of that, and then just again, you know, um, focus on being kind and loving, you know, uh, as Jesus showed us during, you know, speaking during the Beatitudes and in his life uh, on earth. I, you know, I think that's, uh, I think we underestimate the importance of just being kind to people, um, including our family um, and, you know, being patient. You know, so you've got all the difficult cases, so to speak, and then you've got your family, and but you've got the stressors going on in the people's minds of your patients who, and as an ENT person, you know, you're seeing some bad cancers, and, uh, you know, it's, again, you, you mentioned you're really just trying to be a reflection of Jesus to those people and give them hope, aren't you? Right. Uh, you know, the, I've often said this is my apostolate, you know, um, I think the Again, I've learned that over time. <laughs> this is my apostolate, my way of um, sharing my faith, you know, in the temporal order as, you know, in theological terms. Um, and, and then it makes it easier, you know. Uh, again, it's not that I don't worry about patients and how they do. I, I worry about them all the time. Um, but it, it is. And I think the more we do that, the more we grow in our faith too, you know, um, because I've told, I train residents and fellows throughout my whole career, medical students. And, uh, you know, I, I say as much as we like to believe we're in control, we don't control very much. Right. Um, and so, um, for me, it's comforting to know that, uh, you know, what I can't control, I can put in God's hands. And it's refreshing for me to know and meet people like you, physicians, nurses, healthcare providers who are trying to be that reflection of Jesus because the world needs more love. And uh, 
it's refreshing because I know that you're training residents, students, et cetera, and there's hope for down the road as well. And, uh, you know, that's, that's exciting for me. Yeah. And I, again, I think, um, uh, I don't push the faith thing on my, you know, on my trainees at all. Um, on the other hand, if you ask any of them, um, you know, what's his faith tradition, they'll all tell you I'm Catholic, right? <laughs> and, uh, um, quote unquote, hardcore to them. I don't consider myself a hardcore Catholic, you know, but, um, um, but what they see, um, and I was blessed to, you know, when I left up there, I, I left my current students, obviously, to a very good uh, team behind me, but they all wrote little notes to me. Um, it was very touching, really, and I think they really touched on the fact that they loved the way I, I um, dealt with patients in clinic you know, that I um, just had a way that, you know, patients felt at ease. Um, some of my patients wrote notes and interestingly they said, we're glad you cured us of our cancer, but really what you gave us was hope and comfort when we first met you, you know. Um, that's what they remembered, interestingly. Now, you know, they remembered it because we cured them and they're doing well, you know, but um, we forget just the fear, right? Um, as physicians, sometimes the fear that people have when they walk in our office, um, fear of disease, fear of, of the future. And, um, you know, again, I, I get it. Uh, Jesus says, you know, be not afraid, right? But, um, but that's the human side of us. You know, we, we unfortunately cling to a certain amount of fear. So I think the more we can relieve that, the, the more we can be, show mercy to our patients. You bring up a good point though, about in a sense evangelization, because I'm reminded of, I think it was St. Francis said, you know, evangelize always. And if you need to speak, right. they know your beliefs just by the way you act. You don't have to sit there and carry rosary breeds and pray the rosary on rounds. And you don't have to, you know, do other overt things, but it's the way you handle yourself and it's the way you deal with people and how you are a vessel of God's love. And uh, I'm reminded of two of my favorite doctors are Joseph Moscati from Italy a hundred years mm -hmm. ago. And um, they said he used to give people poor people come in and he'd see him for nothing. And uh, he was always there if there were, uh, I think there was a cholera outbreak and he was the first one there to help move the patients out of the hospital. Dr. Jerome Lejeune, uh, venerable, uh, mm -hmm. discovered the uh, trisomy 21 Down syndrome, but he was so afraid that people were gonna use this to uh, promote abortion. And uh, he stood up for his faith and, and so, you know, we stand up for the faith. We stand up for love and kindness and mercy. But we don't have to say a word. It's the way we act, isn't it? It is. And um, uh, it really is. And then, you know, I tend to put little artifacts in my office. You know, I have a crucifix and a Catholic calendar. And, you know, um, and, and I think those things, because people need to be reminded that that niceness or that kindness, that love that we show is not necessarily coming out of some 
greatness of ours, right? It's, it's because we're trying to be Jesus for our patients, right? And um, so I, I do. And, and, you know, I think people, uh, one of my big heroes right now is Bishop Barron and love to, to do. And he's, he's so good at trying to use common things, you know, to try and evangelize our culture. And I think, you know, when, you know, I do a lot of long cases in the operating room and um, we talk about a lot of things, but, you know, frequently, um, depending on people's, depending on the conversation and whatnot, it's amazing how often the daily readings have some applicability to something, you know, and um, I remember one of my medical students in particular was a Jewish rabbi, and um, we used to have great theological discussions, you know, on Elijah, and, you know, he'd talk to me, and I'd talk to him, and, you know, the nice thing was it was this beautiful transfer of knowledge, right, but everybody in the room got to understand, right, our faith and our reason for it, because as Catholics, the great thing about it, and Pope Benedict was fantastic about this, is stressing that we should not be afraid of science, right? Science was, the world was created by God. The more we learn about it, the more we will recognize God in our existence, right? Um, and we should not be afraid of that. And I, I, you know, could not be more in tune with that. Um, one of the great things, just um, I want to go off on a tangent, but I remember Again, uh, one of the very early meetings we had in Cleveland uh, of the um, Bishop Sheen uh, Guild for the Catholic Medical Association, we named ourselves after Bishop Sheen because he was so good at kind of evangelizing the culture, right? Um, and we wanted to try and do the same in our guild. Um, but I remember that one of the very first meetings, we had a priest come in and he just simply brought the ethical and religious directives for Catholic medical care. Um, as you know, it's, you know, 50 plus, 54 or so directives. Um, and I remember reading through those for the first time. And I went, this is just common sense medical care, right? There's nothing, quote unquote, Catholic about it, right? Um, there really is, um, it's just good common sense, really proper care. And so, um, I really tend to now when I give lectures, particularly with the Catholic Medical Association, is really highlight the directives that that you know drive um, maybe a certain um, uh, process, uh, and it really is amazing. Like I found, I was doing almost all of them my whole life, but it was so different all of a sudden to, to see it in print and to say, "Oh, that's why we do that. That's why that's a good idea." It's not just common sense. You know, it's interesting you make those points about you've been trying to do it. You didn't know they existed. And uh, in that same vein, uh, I learned uh, about the spike system. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that system to help doctors discuss bad news with patients. And when I read them, I found, oh, that's interesting, you know. Um, somebody's actually put this together, formulated into a concrete uh, uh, document that could guide doctors and healthcare professionals in, in talking to patients with bad news. And could you share with us and walk through this, the SPIKES uh, uh, acronym? 
Yeah, and so first of all, I would tell you that's uh, exactly right. This um, so it's a method of delivering bad news, you know, um, and bad news can mean different things to different people. But bad news, um, in general, means giving patients um, kind of uh, adverse knowledge, you know, about their medical care or their future. Um, so it can, for me, it's telling them they have cancer or telling them that they have recurrent cancer or telling them that, you know, they have a new mass uh, when they had cancer right. previously. So that's bad news. And, you know, some people do it well and some people don't do it very well um, as patients are aware. And so the spikes is a system that allows us to reproducibly do something well and to be able to teach that, right? To be able to teach that because it is a learned behavior to some extent. Um, and it, it's also, if I may just take one step before I go through it, it helps both people involved. So it's actually been proven, uh, it's been around you know, since 2000, uh, the idea, um, and there's been multiple studies on it in the, in the medical literature. Um, and it helps the physicians because we are able to do a better job of delivering bad news um, and not have it psychologically affect us. So it really helps with burnout, which as you know, for physicians is a very big topic and problem today. It also helps patients because when they feel like they've um, gotten bad news in a um, good way, so to speak, you know, in a way that, that is productive and, um, and appreciates their dignity, they actually have a better chance of following through with treatment and dealing psychologically with that treatment. So anyway, so how do you teach it? So SPIKES, S-P-I-K-E-S, actually is just an acronym um, for six different stages of providing uh, that bad news. So the first is S, setting the stage. Um, and that really means just, um, you know, you don't want to do a drive-by shooting, right? I mean, if you're going to give bad news, you need to set the stage. You need to have a room that's private. Um, you need to make sure that you can devote enough time to that conversation. You cannot do that in three minutes, right? Um, so if you have an important phone call or something, you know, you need to work around that to provide adequate time, privacy, to have the people there that they need to have around them, you know, for support that also need to hear it. Um, and, and again, to do it in an environment that's, um, that's respectful of them. So that's the S. Um, and then the next is really uh, the P is assessing uh, perception. So um, you know, I got my master's in education a couple of years ago, and one of the important things before you teach people is to understand their view of what you're about to teach, right? Um, because they may have a very different understanding of what's going on. So for patients in this situation, you know, you need to find out what do they believe is going on? You know, are, are they even sensing they may have recurrent cancer or cancer? Um, and also, what's the emotional response to that? Are they fearful? Are they, um, uh, you know, worried? Are they uh, very positive about it? You know, you need to kind of get that sense so that 
um, as we say in the educational world, you want to get the inside out. You know, what is what's inside their head? You need to get it out so that you can start on common ground, right? right. Um, and then uh, the I is obtaining an invitation to, to discuss it with them. Most patients actually nowadays, probably since at least the you know, mid 70s, 80s, want to know the truth, right? Um, we have this very paternalistic view sometimes that oh, you know, they shouldn't know the truth. The reality is, and again, this is very much uh, consistent with the religious directives, they should know the truth uh, about themselves. They're entitled to that. And certainly, again, we talk about uh, ethical principles. Um, that's, there is beneficence, right? Um, you want to do what's in the best interest of the patient. But particularly since the 70s, 80s, the idea of autonomy that patients have control of their own health care has been really the number one, right, of the pillars of uh, ethics, and so we have to be sensitive to that, and it is part of, you know, so again, you can, you need to let them know, but, but you need to know that they're okay with that, and how much information do they want? I've had a couple patients that really, it was obvious, they didn't want to know very much the very first visit, and so we didn't discuss a whole bunch. We, you know, we talked a little bit, but we didn't do a full exam, and and then I invited them back a week later. And it was interesting. Uh, the lady went from scared to death, wouldn't talk about it, to a month later having major surgery for a cancer, you know, um, because we just took our time. So anyway, the K is then the key point, right? Sharing knowledge, what you know, uh, the information that you know. And, and my catchwords on this are, um, you need to do, you need to present it honestly, but with charity, right? Um, there is a loving way to prevent the truth, or to, sorry, to present the truth. And then there's dumping it on them, right? Um, when you're in a hurry or, you, you know, you don't want to deal with questions. Um, this is honesty with charity. And that, again, they need to know the truth. You should present it um, in a way that they can understand it, uh, but with, with love. Um, and so, again, here, I think, um, again, in education, those people who are into education, there's this ask, tell, ask um, kind of sense. You know, ask them what they know, tell them the truth, and then ask them again what they understand and, you know, if they have more questions. So very important um, key. So that's really the, the basis. Then um, you really want to observe their emotion. That's the E. Uh, and respond with empathy. Again, another E there. Uh, that's the E in spikes. So observe their emotion, respond with empathy. You, um, you know, again, you, you present the information, you don't want to walk away. You really need to support them through that phase. Um, I always have, um, you know, a tissue box or something. Uh, it's, it's really okay to touch patients and put your hand on their knee or their hand and help them through it. Um, they want to know. That's one of the great things about being a surgeon. We get to touch people still, you know. Um, so many other specialties have gotten away from that, but we still need to touch our patients, and that's such an important bond, I think. Um, and then lastly, the S stands for, you know, developing a strategy and a summary, you know, presenting a summary, and that's really just talking about that, okay, here's your diagnosis, step-by-step um, -step how we got to it, um, here are the treatment options, here are the side effects that go with each of those. Um, and then developing a plan ahead. Um, and then um, 
you know, at that point, then we have to listen and, and take a cue, you know, provide, I always provide a recommendation. Patients will say, what should I do? And I'll say, you know, the decision is yours. I don't want you to decide today, go home, talk about it with other family. But um, in general, if you were my brother or my sister, when I was younger, I used to say, if you were my mom or dad, but now it turns out they're never that old. <laughs> they're always brothers and sisters. So I always say, if you're my brother or sister, this is what I would recommend for you. But you know, your decision will be based on that. Because I think uh, patients deserve that, um, right? They, that's why I've been doing this for 30 years, right? They want to know my experience. They deserve that experience. Um, but I, again, never, I always tell them, if you decide to do something else, I'll support you in that decision. So, so anyway, that's generally the, the spikes um, uh, protocol. You know, and hearing you walk us through that, uh, reminding me of the need to just be present. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's so hard for physicians when they've got, you know, so much work they know needing to be done. They have an emergency down here and whatever. And it's just uh, taking time, showing empathy. You're, you've got a fund of knowledge, but, you know, you've got so many things going on and that being present to people is so critical um, uh, that they, patients just like a magnet gravitate to that because I, I think we need some work on that in the healthcare professions of being, being present. Well, and I agree. And I think part of it is driven by, you know, productivity metrics, you know, that you're supposed to meet. And, um, you know, part of our responsibility is to push back a little bit, you know, hospitals make enough money, um, in general. And, um, um, there's no reason in my mind why if you're busy, you have to improve your productivity 10% every year, you know, and so at some point, um, you have to push back and go, you know what, 10 minutes is not an adequate time to see a patient, you know, a cancer patient, uh, even if it's for a healthy visit. Um, and, um, you know, I've been blessed that I'm respected enough and old enough that people don't push back too much on me. But I always tell my graduates, um, when you leave, you know, that's something you need to negotiate up front is, you know, your, your, uh, you know, your schedule for how many patients you're going to see in a day, because I um, look, it takes a certain amount of time to do this well. Um, and, uh, and, and you need to provide for that. That's part of your responsibility. Brian, as we wrap this up, um, you know, you're seeing cancer patients, severe disease, people are looking for uh, hope or direction in a world that seems to be lost right now. Do you have any words of wisdom for them that you've learned in your own faith walk that you could just share with people before we... Uh... Yeah, um, well, number one, I think, um, I, I guess, for a physician, I'll do it from both sides, for a physician, um, one of my um, most important things that I tell the resident is we need to care for people even when we can't cure them, you know. Um, uh, those are two different things, caring and curing. And, um, and we need to be sensitive to when it, you know, we don't always need to treat somebody, right? Um, we need to be sensitive to that, but we always need to care for them. From a patient perspective, I would say that um, 
I've been blessed. I haven't had a ton of suffering in my life, and I'm I am very honest with patients about that. There are times we suffer, and I I guess what has brought me a bit of solace during that time is that we offer that up, right? As as kind of redemptive suffering, as sharing in the sufferings of Christ, um, because life is about suffering. Um, <laughs> we will all die, and we will all have troubles, and um, if if we try and get away from it, we just, um, we become unhappy, right? Um, and just to accept, try and be more accepting, easy for me to say, but I think, and then second, um, which was where I was headed, it's important that people find physicians that they're comfortable with, you know, and to talk to them. Uh, some physicians will actually respond to, um, Doctor, you know, I love you. You've done so many great things. I need some answers. I need more time or, you know, I need and or, you know, doctor, I, you know, you've been great, but you were rude to me the last time. I, I really think to some extent in a nice way, you know, you have to drive your own care a bit. Um, right. Like it or not, that's the way medicine is today is patients really need to take responsibility and and it may not be the patient it may be their daughter son you know spouse um but and choose good physicians because there's good physicians out there um uh who do all these things and um but you have to look a little bit so i i think that's part of it well for those Resonance interns, uh, practicing physicians, uh, if they're Catholic and they want to look into the Catholic Medical Association, it'll help them foster and grow their faith. Um, healthcare professionals for Divine Mercy, uh, they can Google that. And uh, Marie has put up a lot of uh, great talks by people like you. And I think today's talk really gives me hope because. Uh, it affirms that there are a lot of good doctors out there and they're trying their best and they're trying to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. And you can do that without putting it in people's face, but just the radiance of your face and the kindness you show and being present is very heartwarming to me. And uh, I just want to thank you, Dr. Berkey, for being with us today on Mercy Unbound and continue to spread God's mercy to the people you see who, as you mentioned, coming in afraid and needing answers and wondering where this is all going. But if they cling to that Jesus, I trust in you, you know, we all know they'll be fine, uh, spiritually at least. So, but thank you again. God bless everyone. And we'll see you on the next episode of Mercy Unbound. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash drbryan, B-R-Y-A-N, Thatcher, T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again. And for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.